Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program, where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. Please keep in mind that we may discuss difficult topics, and we ask that you use your own discretion when listening or that you speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lampert. Our topic today is especially timely and important given these unprecedented and challenging times we are living in, eating disorders during the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic. Our guest today is Tom Rutledge, author and psychotherapist. Tom wrote the best-selling Life Without Ed with co-author Jenny Schaefer, as well as Embracing Fear, The Self-Forgiveness Handbook, and others. He is joining us today from Nashville, Tennessee, where he practices therapy and offers training and consulting to clients and professionals. Tom, thank you for joining us in this really important conversation. Thanks for having me. I, I, I love the Emily program from people I've known who've gone through that, but, but just through reputation, I'm a stickler for, for uh, programs who make clinical decisions by, by letting their clinicians make decisions. And that's the reputation you guys have. And it's every, every back in the days when I was, when I was getting fired or, or getting mad and leaving jobs, it's, it's, it's like, it was always management making clinical decisions that was the, at the core of that. I didn't, back in those days, I also didn't handle myself quite as uh, gracefully as my, I might have, but, but it, it, but it's like, this is just one of those things. And, and that has always been a pet peeve of mine. And I think really makes a difference about the long-term success of a program. And from everything I can tell you guys have it, that's, that's why when this stuff happened, I got a, I got a, a group email from, from you guys. I just, I didn't know who was at the other end of the email. I just sent something back to, Hey, do you guys want, you know, do you want to do something together? Because I knew immediately that our old buddy Ed, the eating disorder, I mean, he is such an opportunist. He was going to be nuzzling up beside everybody going like, well, you know, these are real problems now. Right. This is a eating disorder. It's not that big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like we got other stuff. There's a pandemic happening. Really. I mean, let's think about that. Understandably, right. Huge source of stress and anxiety for, for everybody. We're all in this in this together in, in ways that we've just never experienced, right? So, mm-hmm. so as it, you know, I, I've thought a lot about that too, as this sort of began to sweep the world, what, what came in your mind? What worries did you have specifically about people with eating disorders? Well, I mean, really that, that um, I mean, it's, I mean, I do this work with addictions as well, but I don't know when I think about the personification that, that in terms of the model I use of doing this work where I have people actually think of the eating disorder as a separate entity and, and think, we call him Ed, and we and he is in AA. One of the things we say, I'm a, I'm an I'm an alcoholic. It's like we say the disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. It's like Ed is like cunning, baffling, powerful on steroids. You know, he's like he, he is so clever, and he is. And, and when we use the term opportunist, he is so right there. And that's one of the ways I always tell people they can tell that it's that the eating disorder is not them because they don't have to think of what it's going to say. I don't have to think about what my addiction is going to say. If it's going to talk to me, it's just there. It just sneaks up on me. It's like it almost startles you how fast it, it gets there. And so my, my fear was immediately, I just thought about the clients I've worked with in the past, the clients I was working with right now, and thinking, no, I could just see him coming up, put his arm around him, saying, saying like, like uh, you know, we, this, we can take a break now because this is, this is big. And, you know, and I, had, I had a very honest client that was talking to me about this and said that one of the things that Ed said to her specifically was, was, you know, other people need food. And, you know, you are much better at going long periods of time without eating. So this is something that you actually can do to help. 
And I was like, not surprised, genius. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you don't, you know, don't, don't go in there and take the food from other people. We have, a, we have some food in the house and we can make it last a long time and we're going to help in that way. And it's like, thank goodness she knew to tell me to say that stuff out loud to her support system because he's like a good lawyer. He's, he's going to make a case now why we can either, if, you're, if people are early in recovery or just beginning to think that this is what we're going to postpone it, or if we're in it, this is where we're going to hit the pause button. Yeah. It makes me think too, you're absolutely right, that, you know, that sort of quickness that it just shows up, like you don't even think about it, it's just there. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. it really does show up, you know, people talk a lot about in recovery when they, when they feel really strong and they feel like they're, they're making great progress and they feel pretty stable. And then just every so often they sort of hear something or they think something that just yeah. goes up. But I think that too, that people who are doing pretty well, my gosh, now we got directives to to write, like, you know, let's not panic. The grocery store is a dangerous place. Did the grocery store uh, need to get more dangerous? The danger, that's right. The day. Really? Like, everybody <laughs> so, else knows now? It's like, what? <laughs> Secrets out. I've been telling you, it's, it's a dangerous. <laughs> yeah, there's. There's some, some eating disorder voices are like, see, I've been right all along. Why did you not listen to me before? I mean, I think it's so true. And, and I also think about the, uh, you know, the stay at home and the exceptions to the stay at home are to go out and exercise. Go out and exercise. It's good for you, right? Which, you know, right. fresh air, nature, all of that great. Thing. But I think, wow, now we have the grocery store and go out and exercise. And we're, and, we're, and, we're, and we're working from home, so we have more time. So, hey, we could do some more exercise. Yeah. You know, I could, I could work out even longer that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I've got, I'm working with one client that is, um, because she can't go to her gym, and she's definitely a full-blown exercise addict and, know, and knows that and takes full, full responsibility for that. She's doing a really good job, but she is really struggling with not being able to get to the gym and putting the lid on, you know, what she's doing at home. You know, one of the things you said, I want to back up just a second. It's like, I think it's so important for any of us in recovery from whatever version of this stuff we have. I don't claim to know exactly what it's like to have an eating disorder, but, but I do know that through the years of doing this, that being an addict, I do have, I have some experience with, with similar things. And one of the things I've learned to do is to reframe this, hearing the voice of the, of the, the hearing the voice, getting the message from the disease when you're in recovery. That's a good thing. It's like I, I always say, I want people to say, no, that's a good reminder that, you, that you, you still have this. It's like, and some people get really nervous about that. Oh, that, that means I'm, I'm sick and I've got to define myself. No, 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 no. It's like our job is to maintain our, that's, that's why this, the metaphor of the separation works. It's like, no, our job is to basically not give our power away to, in this case, to me, to the alcoholism, but to other people, the eating disorder. It's because it's like an inner codependent relationship. It's like, we just, you know, we all know we've all been in codependent relationships and we know that's about giving our power away to another person. We, whatever, you, whatever you think of me determines how I feel about myself. And that's what we have with, with Ed. And when Ed comes in and says that stuff, as long as you do you know, basically what you've agreed to do in your recovery, which is what I always think about is like, to me, the agreement was always in spite of what I want to do. I, I don't ask myself, do I want to make that phone call or do I want to go to this meeting or do I want to do that? It's like, no, I made, I made a commitment to myself with my sponsor as a, as a witness, as other, other people know this, that if this happens, I'm going to, going to let some people know. And, and that's, of course, recovery is based on tattling. It's like we, most of us, we, most of us agree. I think we go like, how do you feel about tattletales? Oh, we don't like tattletales. In this case, we make a, a huge exception because telling on Ed, 
telling on any of those saboteur voices in our head, including the ones that tell us that work with Ed that tell us we're a piece of shit, you know, because it's sometimes there's a good cop, bad cop thing there where it's like, I'm going to make you feel horrible about yourself. Then Ed can come in, put his arm around you and say, hey, you know, I can, I can help you feel a little bit better. We'll do this and you'll be better. And, it has, and often it, when people are doing that voice of Ed, it has that reassuring tone to it that it's like, you can just, I can just feel like, oh, no wonder, no wonder you feel so good, you know, in that situation. Mm-hmm. Because he's, he's, there, he's not saying there, I'm, I'm here to hurt you. He's, I'm there to take care of you. Right. Yeah. Particularly in a time of crisis, right? Well, and he has that claim that, that nobody else has, which is, I am the most real, if you, if you buy into the, the metaphor of the person, I am the most reliable person in your life. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who's always been here. It's like, I learned a long time ago, I can't argue with that. Right. I mean, the boy is consistent. You know? <laughs> that's right. Consistency, persistence. That's, that's what he got. I mean, he is on the spot. He is there to do that. And it's like, and, you know, and of course, one of the things we learned is that initially for most of us, any kind of addictive compulsive process worked for a while, but it doesn't work anymore and it works against us. So we have to learn to say no to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot about the, um, about the brain science that talks about the sort of genetic predisposition that some people have with the way their brain's wired. It, for me, that just fits so, so cleanly in with the conceptualization of sort of Ed is this, is this separate sort of other. Mm-hmm worse that just shows up and you know, of course it does if if we have a brain that's really wired to quickly go there of course it's going to mm-hmm. do that and that right. in times of crisis lizard brains like help crisis we go right back to that absolutely yeah. that's so important yeah. about any anything we, we we in times of crisis we'll go back to old behaviors old patterns of thinking and it, it doesn't matter how effective they were it's like you know we have to intervene and, and realize so hopefully one of the things we do in interviews like this is to be able to remind people, because Ed actually benefits. If, if, if he can get you to feel discouraged, he doubles back on himself. He's fascinating. I'm fascinated with this character. It's like, and, and uh, he's like, a, he's like, a, he's like a, a wonderful magician. So he'd come in, he can speak. Now you feel discouraged. Oh my God, my, Ed, my, my, my Ed's back, my eating disorder's back. And so then he comes back in and makes you feel bad about that. You know, like when I want people to go like, no. Once you've heard it, as long as you know that's not you, then get back to the basics and let's, let's move forward. There's nothing wrong with hearing. As a matter of fact, better, better the enemy you know. You know, I, I, I don't want him, if, if I don't know he's out there, then he's going to startle me. He's going to jump up behind the couch and I, when I don't see him coming. But it's, it's like the idea that we actually can say, no, times like, well, you're, you're emphasizing it. I love it because, no, times like stress, expect it. Mm-hmm. You know? If it doesn't happen, good for you. Right, right. Yeah, but 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 expect it to hear from and and be sure you tell somebody what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. So, what advice do you have for people who are, you know, there are people out there who are struggling with with a number of things, right? You know, not just the scary grocery store, not just the activity, but am I doing enough? Am I making good use of my time at home? Am I being productive enough? Am I, you know, all of those things. What, what advice do you have for people who are starting to realize, hmm, maybe I'm hearing something. What should I, what do I do now? Well, uh, uh, maybe I'm hearing something. It's like, it, 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 and of course, well, if we put our ear to their head, we hear just this screaming at the time. It's like, ah! Right. I don't know. I'm thinking I'm hearing something. It's... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like, yeah, yeah. I have a, I, I have a, I have a stethoscope in my office. Sometimes I'll, I'll put it to somebody's head and just kind of go, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Well, one of the things that your question actually gets to is, I've, I've never, and maybe there is such a thing, but I've never encountered somebody with an eating disorder that didn't also struggle with perfectionism. And that is, to me, that's just another sabotaging voice that actually is a very, it's sort of a, a, vic, a victimizing voice that basically says, you know, what I want people to know is says, you should be better than all other people. You should be better than as humanly possible. Well, expecting the impossible from ourselves, of course, is constant self-victimization. So one of the things I would want, what I would say to people who are dealing with that, and I'm saying to people who are dealing with that stuff is, how about we take this, look at this as an opportunity? And I, I use this, this term I've, I've used for years called positive opportunism. It's like, how can I use a negative or difficult situation to become better? I think, I think the people who deal with, with strong self-criticism beyond Ed, the, 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 I call them different things, bullies and should monsters, everybody names their own, but it's like um, that perfectionism voice. It's like, this is an opportunity for them to really make some strides here. And so what I, what I say, what I want people to do, and I have a little sign up on my office wall that kind of is central to my office, which says, always move towards your demons. They take their power from your retreat. So the idea is let's always go toward. Let's go, let's, let's see if we can go toward this. And, and, and not, not in a horrible, abusive way, but let's just look for some opportunities. So, that, so I would say to people listening, if they identify with that, is like, we're probably making it worse to cringe. That's, to cringe is to say, that's a retreat. I'm going to, you know, and the more I back off from this, the bigger it seems to get me. So the idea is, you know, you should be doing more. You should be, you, you're working at home, so you should get all this stuff accomplished. It's like, okay. Let's go toward that. You know, let's, you know, I mean, journaling is an is a amazing thing. I, think, I mean, I just think so many people with eating disorders have done such a beautiful job of, of using journaling that I've worked with, using journaling. In the sense is people with eating disorders, I don't know how all that works, but tend to be extremely creative people. And, and it's, it's a go-to, go toward it, write about it. Um, but be sure you're sharing it with somebody. With technology the way it is, this is one, one of my, my favorite things about this thing is, is that we are in isolation. And of course, isolation is what people in our business, I mean, we go, we go nuts. We preach against isolation. It's like isolation is deadly. Isolation will kill you. And it's like, oh, by the way, stay home. You know, <laughs> stay. But, really far yeah, here. but look what we're getting to do. And just, I mean, just the fact that as of today, I'm, I get to meet you. It's like, no, we're actually isolating as a community. It's like, it's the coolest thing. I mean, I love this part of it. It's like, as an old guy, I'm sitting there going like, no, this feels like I'm living in the future, seeing something I would have never, ever anticipated when I was younger. And the idea that we can, we, you know, that, that you, you know, we sit here and, and join forces to, to, to reach out to other people that may be able to do that. And they may be listening, maybe because they're isolated, because, oh, I'm more likely to tune into this because I need that extra support. Good. It's like, there's no excuse for isolation you know, anymore. when I was first starting in this business, it was getting people, I would spend weeks sometimes just getting somebody to make one phone call to somebody, you know, it's just, it's just one phone call. It's like, and I would be, I would be very patient and we would work on it. We'd work on it. We'd go to, go to group, come back, make the phone. No, I didn't make a phone call. And they did and we would celebrate. But nowadays there's so many different ways and so many ways that I think are, are emotionally easier to connect for people who don't want to talk on the phone. You can email or text, you know, you can leave a post, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, so I have a longer answer than, than maybe you asked for, but, but, the, but the, the nutshell of it is do not stop working on what you're working on. And if you do anything, work on it more. 
and you know and and work on it responsibly in in you know if you can't see your therapist be sure you're i mean most every therapist is doing remote therapy now they'll do this they're going to work with you and be sure you don't use don't let ed or anybody else tell you that's an excuse to skip out on therapy this is a time to 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 rev it up right yeah you don't even have to go anywhere you don't have to drive anywhere you don't have to take public transit anywhere you don't even that's right you have to shower. You just that's right. That's that's right. Computer. That's right. I have a client who says I don't even have to put on my pants. It's like right. it's, it's, <laughs> just be careful where your camera's aimed. That's, that's right. Yeah, I think you know many many providers, you know, certainly the Emily program included, have have expanded or some have added telehealth to provide virtual eating disorder support to clients at home. Like we're doing partial hospital programs and IOP programs and outpatient programs through telehealth. That's, that's amazing. Amazing, right? I love that. You know, I think we we certainly, all of us, I think, collectively miss the in-person and the, yeah. the magic that happens when you're in-person. And, you know, these illnesses are relentless. They're fierce. They can be deadly. They don't, this is not a time to like not do treatment, right? Mm -hmm. Because you need to stay right. getting cared for. The health system at large is not going to be able to take care of people with eating disorders well. So we- right can't let ourselves deteriorate to the point where we'd need health services outside of our, our eating disorder services because that's even scarier. So so the support that we've been able to launch as a field is pretty impressive, but a little challenging, right? Everyone's trying to figure out this whole, you know, how do you do teletherapy and mm -hmm. how do you click this button and do this thing and and what about the camera and just what are your thoughts on how how that's all going and what learnings might we get out of it? Well, the, the you know the the um, the one book you mentioned at, at at the beginning is embracing fear. It's like I, uh, that's a book that's that's about what's what's the difference between healthy fear and and neurotic or unhealthy fear. I mean, healthy fear motivates, drives drives us to do this stuff. But one of the things I learned, I don't think it's in the book because I think I, I spent the time with the subject of the book, and I think I came away with this before. I don't think the book was finished before I actually thought of it, which was. As human beings, we we hate change, and we're scared to death of uncertainty. Okay, now the only thing certain about life is change. We this is this is weird and true. We are the only species that actually lives in fear of our of the nature of our existence. You know, we it's like we're <laughs> we are our own problem. It's like it, it's it's so and so. What happens with this stuff is is you know we need to be able to sort through those fears and be able to say, okay, well, what, you know, where, where, which ones do I need to be listening to? Which ones? And, and I, what I hope about things like this is that people understand that this really becomes a values clarification exercise. It's like one of the, the assignments I give people a lot of times when, when they're separating from their eating disorder is make a list of your values, make a list of things that are important to you, and then make a list of the things that are important to Ed. Now, Ed's, Ed's value system is extremely short. And if it's really honest, it just says, I want to control you. Mm. That's all it says. <laughs> it's, you know, it, the, the, most of the time, they'll say something about food or weight and those, all those other things. But ultimately, it's, I want to control you. And one of the things that's really important, I think, when you start getting into the fear of this stuff is to realize you have a choice to make every day about whose value system you're using. Because when, when, when basically when Ed carjacks us, you know, or my addiction carjacks me, it's like, I'm operating out of a value system that is not my own. It's one of the reasons that we feel so horrible about ourselves. You know, it's one of the, it's one of the ways the, the addictive cycle keeps going. If I keep acting outside my value system, 
then I feel worse about myself and the addiction keeps coming back to say, I, I can help you feel better. It's very important to realize that Ed doesn't give a crap about your kids, doesn't give a crap about the coronavirus, doesn't give a crap about if somebody dies. And it's an opportunity to compare yourself to that value system because it's so blatant at this point to go like, no, I care about all that stuff. You know, that's what I want to say to a client. That's you. That's, that's you, know, it, 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 you know, it's a weird thing that we have this sociopath that lives inside of our mind. But we do. It's, 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 it's limited in, in that thing. That's not pathology. That, that part itself is just like you said, it's how the brain works. It's like, you know, we're learning more and more about the fact that, that, that I love talking, listening to people who know more about that stuff than I do because they can explain to me why therapy works. Right. You know, it's like, like uh, uh, Dan Siegel. I have I, seen Dan speak many times. I mean, everything he says makes so much sense. And I just sit there and go, oh, God, I got it. And he's so smart. When I leave, I couldn't explain anything he just told me to anybody. <laughs> they go, well, what, do you, what, what do you talk about? Just, <laughs> it was good. <laughs> but, but he makes, and I love reading his stuff because he makes so much sense. And he, he normalizes it. He, he, he takes it away. He really does take it away from being pathology. Yeah. This is, this, is more, this is more mechanical. This is how it works. Yeah. And this is what we can do to, to change it. This, this is a time to hunker down with our own value system, do things that are important to us, you know, and be sure that you're, you don't stop your recovery. Yeah. And you don't even pause it. Yeah. Take care of your brain. I love, the, I love one of the things that Dan Siegel says about the healthy mind platter that, that reminds me a lot of what I say to clients, like we got kind of, you know, four or five things that we do as people, we need to, we need to eat mm -hmm. and that can be its own set of challenges. We need to move and that's a whole other set of challenges. We need to sleep and we need to cope. And those are what's on the, the healthy mind platter that he, that he has. And how do we, how do we do those? And this is a, a great opportunity, right? To try to do some of those things. Yeah. Like, wow, if you're home and you don't have some of the, the moving about distractions, mm -hmm. how can you really eat yeah. well? How can you really sleep well and move well and cope well? Um, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of opportunity, but also a lot of opportunity for the, you know, the, the mm -hmm. ed voice to come in and hijack all those good intentions. Right. And I think that's, I think that's part of it too, Jillian, that I want you to see it as an opportunity. It's like, it's not, is it an opportunity for me or for them? It's an opportunity. You know, it's like, so the idea is take that on as a challenge as much as you can. I mean, this is about, because what we really are working to help people do is, you know, find it, you know, I mean, how does Ed want to build somebody's self-esteem and their ability to not eat or to do this or that or whatever they can control the exercise? It's, it's like, we're basically making a pitch, a very direct pitch for other sources of self-esteem. I have no problem saying to somebody, I think that's a lousy source of self-esteem. I mean, you may be able to go longer without eating than me. It's like, I'm not impressed. You know, it's like, it's, 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 I know I'm supposed to be, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm actually worried. But it's, it's like, and of course, Ed immediately, I could hear him. I, I've known him too long. He immediately said, well, worried is a form of, of, of impression. You're, you're impressed. It's like, shut up. So, so I'm sitting here with, even without a client and I'm talking to him. He's like, he, he, follows, <laughs> he even follows me around now. It really is. It, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to, to, to not, you know, sort of test out all those skills you have. I also think there's an interesting other opportunity for people who struggle with binge eating, people who struggle with, with really wrestling with how, what the relationship with food and overeating is. Here we are in our houses. 
there's all this junk out on social media about, you know, not gaining weight in the pandemic and getting enough exercise and all of that, that for somebody who struggles with overeating in times of stress, here we have this giant time of stress and you're home in your house where in theory the food is. Any thoughts about that? I mean, that's a, you know, Ed's got his tapes for those, those situations too, but I think that's a really fascinating thing to think about in our diet obsessed culture and our health obsessed culture. And well, I appreciate you bringing that up because it's so important to remember just what I call the different brands of this. It's like, it's like the control part is, is the the common theme, but the the other behaviors are are different. You know, again, I think, I think our term we're using today is opportunity to, to do this. This just takes me back to one of the basic things that, that I just think, we have to, we were constantly talking to people about it, and that is you have to in times of stress you have to you have to double down on your support you need to be connected to other people in this way in a way when you're talking about somebody who's an overeater uh or a binger it's like they actually have more in common i have more in common with those people as an al- alcoholic than i think i do with with anorexics it's like like because that's about choosing not to do something and it's it's a different it's it's a different animal really is choosing not to do something as opposed to choosing to do something, and so you know you have this you have this you know you have this you know, in my case I can pour the the liquor down the, the drain I don't have liquor in my house so that I got I got the simple way you know somebody pointed out to me a long time ago said well it's very easy but it was it was certainly a simpler and if I put myself in a place where I'm sitting there thinking okay well I've got to I've got to have you know just this many ounces of scotch and that many of tequila and this kind of stuff like that i need i need to put myself as much in a harness as i can and that harness are people who care about me people who are my professional treatment team but also just my support team that kind of stuff so i think the idea of having a very even if you're you even if you've gotten more relaxed with your food plan this is a time to tighten up on that if you feel any wavering at all about that and be sure that the people that, you know, that help you feel accountable. You know, I always tell people, it's like, you're never making a commitment to me to do this or not do this. I, I'm the guy who signs on the witness line. That's what, that's what our support people are. We want you to know you're making a commitment to yourself. But people who tell us that so that when we say, how's that going? You know that I know what I'm asking. Right. You know, I'm asking, you told me what you're eating and not eating and what, what about sticking with your times. That you were supposed to do snacks. So how is that going? It's amazing how how just knowing somebody who and it is about somebody who cares, you know, that it will matter to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you matter, right? Well, because, yeah, because what happens? That, that's it exactly. Because what happens in times like this is we stop mattering to ourselves. You know, some so sometimes the idea is if I if I know that you care about me even when I don't, if I've gotten that much, mm-hmm. then I basically can. It's sort of it's sort of a strange twist on the whole codependency thing. I can go like I can kind of farm that out for a minute. Yeah. I can let I'm gonna I tell you what I'm gonna do this because Jillian gives a damn. Yeah. You know? yeah. I'm gonna do I'm gonna do this because it's gonna feel better to me to say to her I did good. Yeah. Okay to, okay to let somebody hold that hope a little bit for you and yeah. yeah. across the, to a better place. Oh, I love that idea. The idea that you can actually borrow somebody else's hope. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like 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 I don't have much. What do you you have help for me? It's like yeah, yeah, you know, it's like yeah. no problem. Yeah, absolutely. I I love thinking about that because we can. I love that. find hope for other people, and and you you know yeah, I can hold that. That's not that heavy for me to carry. Right, 
right. and it's really joyful for me to carry that for you. Yeah, and it's and I think it's a good thing for people to consider when they're thinking about doing that is to turn that around and because the truth is they could do that for somebody else easily as well. Right. And so, so that's I mean that's one of the things that that dangerous double standard is something that is so powerful. Uh, in group work with with eating disorders, you know, is you know, I used to do a thing where I would ask the group, okay, how many here in the room think that it's possible that you may never make it to recovery, and everybody's hand would go up. How many? How many of you, you know, think that the other people in this room are never going to make it? Nobody's hand goes up. Nobody. You know, that's and that's where we came up. Where this is something that, that we came up with back when we were in the group with Jenny, uh, where what I I would say to them is is you're not that special. You know, you're not, you're not the one, you know, you're, you're not the one person who's not going to be able to pull this off, you know? Right. Yeah. I will, I will tell you this is just, we were doing, Jenny and I were doing a, a presentation one time years, years ago, a young woman came up to me afterwards with the book and said, would she want me to sign it? And she said she wanted me to sign it that way because that meant something to her. You're not that special. So I'm going, okay, you want me to write, you're not that, spe put your name and write, you're not that special. And I thought it didn't, wasn't lost on me that I'm going like, this is not going to look good. It's like, but she really wanted me to do it. So I did it. So somewhere, you know, I don't remember her name right now, but somewhere there's a book that says, Susan, you're not that special. And then the <laughs> author signed and people are going, what an asshole. It's like, is that, <laughs> it's like but, but, but it's, uh, it's one of those things that's just really stuck. It's like the idea of understanding that, that when we get down to that self-esteem and that belief in ourselves, that we, you know, it's not that I deserve, when I, when I deserve something, it's not, I'm so wonderful, I deserve things. I had my, my sponsor told me this one time in AA, it helps so much. No, it just means you deserve it as much as the next guy. Right. It's, it's, and I, once it became a, a part of humility for me, I could do it. When we ever, the word deserve was so triggering for me, you know, because I'm thinking, you don't know my history if you think I deserve Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, whether that was right or wrong, it's, it's like, it really, I couldn't get my head around it. But the idea here is reaching out, crack down on your plan, let people know and know that if you don't know that you deserve good things, your friends and, and family and, and support team do. Right. They sure do. Yeah. We all, we all, we all deserve it. Yeah. Everybody's deserve Right. Deserve right. It. It's like, you're not special. I'm not saying just, you know, you deserve it, but my next client probably doesn't. Right. It's like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. I got a list here. But That's yeah, right. Yeah. You, you deserve it, but take a, take a look at the person as you're walking out. It's like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a fascinating thing for me to think about as a clinician, you know, particularly with the teletherapy setup of, of four people sitting in a meal, trying to do a meal online and having like, yeah. show me your food and let's see what you have and make sure it's what you need. And, and there's, you know, oh, I can't quite see how much peanut butter you have on your sandwich. So maybe mm -hmm. you don't have as much as you need. Maybe things get missing, but again, it's just like in real life. Yeah. That that's not you, that's not you winning. That's Ed winning. That's you know that's not going to help, and it's not keeping you safe. Right. And so again, the, I think technology is you know bringing us back around to that is sort of this fascinating and fabulous tool. Yeah. And it doesn't make you know sure it's got different ways that, that Ed can misbehave, but you know the concept. Is same yeah. that Ed just wants to you know wreck things yeah. and we got to stay on track to really reach out and, and get help not right. let that happen he's resourceful he's you know when, you know he, he 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 adjusts all the time I used to tell people we'd come to our, our weekend workshops was all your eds have been in a weekend workshop too collaborating about how to get better at this you know as as you are 
he's always he's going to make the adjustments. But the other, the other piece I want to go back to for a second too, the idea that I've thought about and wanted to do more remote stuff with technology and stuff, but haven't done it. Well, what this has catapulted us into is doing it. It's like mm-hmm. it will ch- it'll change everything. It'll change, you know, I mean, now we actually, one solution often creates the next problem. So we'll, we'll look at, you know, this can be another way that people on the, on the other side with our clients can prefer to do this to keep distant. So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, well, we got to be careful. We got to, you know, I mean, I'm, I can imagine myself saying to somebody, yeah, but I need to see you in the room. It's like, I, right. I really would like to be able to see you, you know, in three dimensions, you know, right. that kind of stuff. But the idea that what we do is we take away, we take away so much of the possibility of isolating, even at a, even at a time when we're being told, you know, go to your room and stay there, right. you know, and we're connecting. Right. Yeah, we are. I love your concept of we're connecting. We're, we're isolating as a community. Community. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful for each other. That's really mm-hmm. doing this for each other. Mm-hmm. And anything, yeah. And anything we can do to help, you know, our, our remind ourselves, but also just to help our clients to, to feel that community. Mm-hmm. That makes such a difference. It does. You know, I mean, ultimately, I mean, this is, I don't know if this is a psychological or a spiritual concept, but it's when you know, you're not alone, you know, you're better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's very true. I think that there's some, some, I think we'll take out of this situation, some really interesting learnings and maybe advancements. And you're right. Like, wow, this, this, you know, explosion of teletherapy means, Hey, maybe those people that live in further parts of the States and are farther away from Metro areas or don't have transportation or can't get somewhere like maybe this is a a different way we can deliver treatment Mm -hmm. that can expand it. Wow. That's, that's a really good point, Jillian, because this is, I guess, this, I can't say this without sounding like a, a judgment somewhat of the system, but fi- finding a, a, an eating disorder, an e- somebody who is an identified eating disorder expert mm-hmm. who actually knows how to treat eating disorders, that's, not, that's the key. There are a lot of eating disorder experts. It's like not a lot of, not a lot of them or not, not all of them know how to treat eating disorders. So the idea is so, so hard and it, it's really a tough one when you're talking to somebody Who's, who's in a place where you realize legitimately they really don't have access to resources, you know, and, and, but our message is the same. You can't let that stop you. Right. And all of a sudden we're, we're going, wait a minute, we have another way. Yeah, this could work. I think like a lot of sort of even global public health campaigns, we, we have these sort of tiered approaches that in person, there's so much value in in-person and, mm-hmm. and being in the same space and all of that, that we all just feel in our bones is so important. And the data show us that that's important. And yet reaching more people yeah. with intervention that might be almost as good, maybe not quite a little different, yeah. but wow, that's, that is really interesting to think about. And also the sort of extensions, right? That people can stay connected yeah. longer, yes. but doesn't have to be necessarily attached to their, their right. physical presence somewhere. Right. Well, and the other part is also just, just especially with the advent of, of the video part of, the, of, of these things, is I've just been really happily surprised at how much intimacy is not lost mm-hmm. in these connections. Now that the technology is better and smoother and it doesn't break up all the time and that kind of stuff, it's like, I would have never thought, I mean, I do experiential therapy, do it online, mm-hmm. you know, get something, is there something in the room that can represent so-and-so, you know, go get that pillow. Okay. Bring it over here. It's, it's, and they're going like, I'm, we're doing this. And it really is. And, and there are times where I go like, we're really not losing much. 
Yeah, good work. And 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 what a cool thing to be, you know, I think about as a dietitian to help people with their with their eating. Like, wow, the ability for somebody to walk into their kitchen, open your fridge, show me what's in your fridge, right? Now. Yes. Right. You can tell oh, me what's wow, in your fridge yes. in my office, but I'm looking in your fridge and I'm looking in your cabinets and I'm looking at your dishes and I'm looking at your kitchen. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at your table. There really are some, I think, some really interesting pieces to this that, that have started a little bit as telehealth mm-hmm. is become more popular, but I I'm I look forward to those pieces, some of those sticking. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I have one of my one of my clients. Um she, she said uh, she said, I went to my refrigerator the other day and it said, What do you want now? <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I wrote her back, it was a text. I said, answer this, food. <laughs> right. Food. I'm here for food. <laughs> That's what's actually in there. Not love, not judgment, not hate. It's actually food. It's just, it's just food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Tom, where, where can our listeners learn more about your work? All the cool stuff you've done. Um, well, my website is just tomrutledge.com. I always tell people my first name has an, an extra H in it. It's T-H-O-M-R-U-T-L-E-D-G-E. And so tomrutledge.com. And you can email me from there. You can get on the email list from there. You, you're welcome. People are welcome to email me directly. It's author at gmail.com. And happy to answer any questions and uh, however, however we can help. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us today and sharing your thoughts. Oh, absolutely. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you'd like to learn more about the EMILY program and what we do, visit emilyprogram.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at EMILY program. Piecemeal is produced by Andrew Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forkey. Thanks for listening.